This morning, we're going to be looking at now the beginning of Luke's narrative, Luke's gospel, that will tell us about um, the first of two important announcements that set the stage for everything else to come. And that's one of the reasons why I titled The Wait is Almost Over. This is announcement one of two. And like I said, I titled it The Wait is Almost Over. What we'll see today is that God uses, uses unlikely people to play an integral part of a bigger plan. And in the case we're about to see here, it's going to be his plan of redemption. So Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start off in verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And the word of God says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and when he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord, of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing, with the right, uh, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will be... He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in spirit and and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. In these first 17 verses, what we see is Luke's carefully investigated account. And he begins with a detailed description of how God carefully and perfectly orchestrated events to begin fulfilling his promise to redeem mankind. As I mentioned, it all starts with the story of two faith, a faithful couple who never expected to be an integral part of God's marvelous plan. But before he even gets into the story, Luke references a character named King Herod, the great temple builder who ruled Judea from 39 BC to 4 BC. Although Although his spectacular building programs are historically noted, records also indicate 
how his paranoid cruelty drove him to execute many. He was just a really cruel person. And again, history books show that his, the amount of cruelty he dispelled among many in that area, among those, the people there in that region, including members of his own family. Nevertheless, though, the reason he's referenced here was to show that, one, the things being written about took place during a real time in world history. Two, these events that were about to take place occurred during some really dark and turbulent times. And three, that even in those dark times, God was working out his purposes through his faithful people. We're then introduced to our main, one of our main characters here, Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and also his wife, Elizabeth, who was also part of an honored priestly family. Now this couple is described as righteous in God's sight and living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? Does this mean that they were high and mighty, that they were on a pedestal of people, they thought they were better than everybody else, that they were sinless? No. In no way is Luke suggesting here that they were sinless or perfect, but that they, have, that they had a deep inner piety that manifested itself in outward behavior. Their only sorrow, their only sorrow was that they had no children because, as Dr. Luke notes here, Elizabeth could not conceive, and they were both very old. This meant that throughout the enti their entire marriage, they were socially stigmatized for failing to fulfill God's command to multiply and fill the earth. And now that they were old, they had given up all hope of ever having this personal and social disgrace removed from their lives. But in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that they couldn't have children, they could have, they, and they could have been angry, they could have been bitter at God, they could have been like, Lord, how could you do this to us? How could you, how could this happen? We blame you, God. They didn't. We're told that they remained faithful. They remained faithful and kept their hope in God. Now here we have a good reminder that regardless of what's going on around us, no matter what's going on around this world, no matter what's going on politi politically, no matter what's going on in your schools, at your jobs, no matter what's happening to you personally or, and how dark those days may be or how dark they will grow or even how old you will get, we must keep our faith and hope in God. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in, rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Every Christian, every believer who has ever been ostracized by society has felt the pain and sorrow that Elizabeth and Zechariah felt. But for many of them, they refused to buckle under the pressure. Why? Because they believed. They had hope with all their heart that no matter what anyone said, what anyone did, what happened, nothing at all would ever separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was hope in them, a living hope, not a fake hope, not a dead hope, but a living hope that something greater is going to happen. And, and you know, I, I, I think about the needs we have here at the church, the, the, maybe the needs, our, our own personal needs. And, and well, let me, let me be more specific. This whole week, I was feeling pretty bummed out because there was just a lot going on. Uh, personally, I, w- you know, I, I was just struggling with some issues. And, and I, had to re- I, I, I just had to stop and just refocus and pray and remember that this will all pass. That I've seen and I've been through these situations before and because I stayed the course, because of my faith, He led me through those dark times. He led me through those valleys. He led me through those deserts. And I've seen the blessings that have happened at the other end. And he will be there for you as well. So again, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever difficulty, hold on. Don't give up. He will guide you. Allow him to guide you. He was gonna, and he's going to show you great things at the, end of the, uh, at the end of that tunnel. You grow stronger, you'll grow more faithful, you'll grow in, in knowledge of wi- and in wisdom. But your relationship with him will grow stronger. You'll be, be a, just a tighter-knit relationship with you and the Lord. So as we go back to our story here, According to the Jew, how the Jewish priesthood had been divided by King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, each of the 24 divisions were to serve in the temple. They were to serve one week at a time, twice a year, to carry out the daily sacrifices and rituals. With approximately 18,000 priests, give or take a few thousand or, you know, 
of priests in Judea at the time, the privilege of burning incense in the holy place was a rare and a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for any priest of those 22 divisions. So it was a great honor when that happened. Now, so to ensure fa- fairness, these special duties were, assign- were assigned by lots. Now, for those of you who may not know, lots were sacred objects that would give a yes or no to a question or select one person over another. Well, after all these years of being a priest, the lot fell on Zechariah. And now he had the awesome responsibility of entering the holy place just in front of the Holy of Holies. There, at that holy place, was an, inc- an altar of incense where special spices would, would be burned and the aroma from the smoke that would rise up to the sky symbolized the prayers of the people going up to God. So twice a day, during the hour of incense, this is what Zechariah did. While everyone else was outside, the other priest, all the rest of the, the people would be outside just praying. Now, it was during these hours that Luke tells us in verse 11 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Zechariah, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Now, why the right side? Because it's known to be, the right side is known to be a special place of honor. Now, Zechariah, upon seeing this angel just appear to him, um, Uh, responded to this angel just as we would and as biblical characters usually did with pulse-stopping fear and and hair-raising horror. However, this is what we see time and time again throughout throughout the Bible. God's angel responded back in words God always used to announce salvation to the prophets. The words were, do not be afraid. When we come to the Lord, He will always tell us, do not be afraid. Here again, we have another example of one of the many ways God speaks to those who believe and trust in Him. When you're involved in ministry, He will find ways to personally speak to you. Now there are several ways that God will speak to you. He'll speak to you through his word. He will speak to you through these messages. He will speak to you um, maybe through hearing another message. I've even discovered that, you know, just walking around, being at work or wherever, that if I pay close attention, God will, someone will sometimes say something totally unrelated or have a different conversation and they will say something that totally this from the Lord. And here we see that God speaks to people while they're serving. Now, he may not exactly speak to you 
the same way he spoke to Zechariah. An angel may not show up and just start talking to you and give you a message from the Lord. And if he did, I would probably talk to you for a bit to make sure that it lines up with the Bible and that you know, you're okay. Um, but he may use, again, other methods and people to tell you something important. He may do it while you're serving with the kids. He may do it while you're just cleaning. He may do it in a number of ways, whether, in, whether it's serving food, whether it's serving the community, whether it's he will speak to you and he will tell you something that you need to know. And again, it's just a matter of just really being in tune and, and paying attention to what he has to say. I, again, I believe that God is always speaking to us in different ways. Every single, from the moment we, we wake up and the moment we, we fall asleep, he's trying to tell us something. And because we're so distracted and because we are only paying attention to what we need to pay attention to, we don't hear. We don't have those ears. We just, we drown his word out with everything else. And, but if you just pay attention, if you just make an effort to pay attention, You'll, you'll hear. You'll, you'll hear the Lord's telling you something that you need to hear in that particular moment. Now with those comforting words that the angel had spoke to him about, or actually with those comforting words of do not be afraid, Zechariah can now listen to the five-part message God had sent him to deliver. The first part of the message was a word of encouragement. Your prayer has been heard. Which prayer? The one I'm praying for now for the people of this nation? Yes, in a way, but no, not really. Which leads the angel to the second part of his message. A word of good news. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. What? I'm going to have a son? In a sense, this angel was saying, Zach, God is answering your personal prayer. You know, the one you and Elizabeth have uttered for years. The one you think has passed you by. God has heard you. And you're going to be a dad. He then delivers the third part of his message, a word of instruction to him. You will name him John, which means the Lord is gracious. The fourth part of his message was a word to bring personal peace and comfort. There will be joy and delight for you. For an old couple, and we're talking about like old, I'm sure this would have brought a sigh of relief. For them, it might have been just a peaceful and comforting thing to, to hear. Yeah, my kids aren't going to be wild kids. They're not going to be not going to give me any problems. They're going to be a source of joy and delight. And the fifth and final part of this message was a word about the joy 
for, the, for many outside his family. Many will rejoice at his birth. God would use John's ministry to turn many people back to the Lord, just as Isaiah had promised in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Now, from verses 14 and 15, the angel's message about John himself indicated three particulars. The angel indicated that John would, one, be great, two, would never drink wine or beer, and three, would be filled with the Holy Spirit. In short, John would be a unique figure, unmistakably devoted to a unique and powerful ministry for the Lord. The angel then informed Zechariah five facts of his future son's ministry in verses 16 and 17. Number one, John's ministry will turn many to the Lord. It will be a ministry of leading people to repentance. Number two, John will go as a forerunner before him. Now, who's, who, does he, who is he talking about here? John, it, it, John's ministry will be a ministry of preparation for the Messiah. Number three, John will serve in the spirit and power of Elijah. It will be a ministry of power and prophetic fulfillment. Number four, John's ministry will turn the hearts of fathers and the disobedient. It will be a ministry of reconciliation through repentance. One commentator put it this way, his preaching would turn the hearts of careless parents to a real spiritual concern for their children. Also, he would bring back the hearts of disobedient, rebellious children to the wisdom of the just. Now, if this verse also sounds familiar to some of you, it's because Luke is quoting from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Malachi was the, this chapter in Malachi was the last chapter of the book that we last covered. These were essentially the last words of the Old Testament. And now God, God's revelation is resuming where it had left off. And the fifth fact about John's ministry was that John will make ready for the Lord, a, pe a people prepared. It will be a ministry of preparation. Of, it will be a ministry of preparation of the people to respond to the Lord's way of salvation. He will prepare those who come to him for the time when Jesus will appear. Thus, the angel indicated John's ministry would be empowered by God, undertaken in behalf of others, and focused on Christ. Now, if you really think about it, it's also a pattern for all Christian service. When you serve, 
It's empowered by God. It's undertaken in behalf of others. And it's focused on Christ. And if you're not serving for those reasons, then I would suggest you re-examine why you're serving. Well, as we move on, we're going to see how Zechariah responds to this news and how it affected him until his son was born. So let's pick up in verse 18, and we're just going to read to verse 25. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you about this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he had stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. A well-known author wrote the following. Important lessons are given by this alternation of the two ideas of faith and unbelief, obedience and disobedience. Disobedience is the root of unbelief. Unbelief is the mother of further disobedience. Faith is voluntary submission within a person's own power. If faith is not exercised, the true cause lies deeper than all intellectual reasons. It lies in the moral aversion of, hum of, the, of human will and in the pride of independence, which says, who is Lord over us? Why should we have to depend on Jesus Christ? As faith is obedience and submission, as, as faith is obedience and submission, so faith breeds obedience. But unbelief leads to higher-handed higher -handed rebellion with dreadful reciprocity of influence. The less one trusts, the less one trusts, the more he disobeys. The more he disobeys, the less he trusts. In this part of the story, Zachariah learned a hard lesson about questioning a God who was able to turn impossibilities into real possibilities. This hard lesson begins the moment Zachariah opens his mouth to respond to God's, what God's angel had just told him. Now you think, you think that being in the presence of an angel, of, of something supernatural, something extraordinary such as that, and hearing an actual message 
for you from God, it, you would think it would embolden Zechariah's faith. But it didn't. Rather than taking the message at face value and then just walking away praising God and just saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for answering my prayer. I will do my best to raise this child. And just continue to rejoice in that. The priest looked at himself and his wife. He looked at their situation and became overwhelmed with, she with the sheer impossibility of this promise. Again, instead of walking away and, and praising God, it's like, Wait a minute, we're old. She can't have a baby. She's barren. What are you talking about? So he wanted some assurance beyond this plain word of this heavenly messenger. Maybe he wanted a sign. That was a sign. I mean, that was an angel right there standing before you who just appeared. He was probably in his full glory. And you want another sign? Wow. He was speaking to you plainly. Nothing that contradicted God's word. He was telling you what God wanted you to do. A message from God and, and you still want more? He just saw it, it, something, I guess something just clicked in his head and was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. It isn't that Zechariah doesn't want to believe this. He does. It's simply that he feels that he must, that it must be good to be true. And he has probably protected himself from disappointment but not, by not setting his expectations too high. You've heard of the saying, hope for the best, expect the worst. Maybe that was him, maybe time and time again. He just was disappointed. He had hopes. Maybe he, if he drank this tea or ate this herb or if they both, you know, just took some, some vacation time together that, you know, something, something would happen. And um, time and time again, nothing would happen. And that hope sank. So now he's at a point where he's like, yeah, no, we can't. We tried everything. We can't. It's, it's, how is this going to happen? See, he made the mistake of putting his own logic ahead of God's proven ability to defy logic, to defy the logic of many others in the past who doubted his word, who doubted his promises. Look throughout the Old Testament and you see all these instances, all these times where God would say, I'm going to do this. And people will, will say, no, that's, that's impossible. How are you going to split? How are we going to get over through this, uh, this sea? How are we going to feed all these thousands, millions of people in the desert? How are we going to provide food and water for them? 
how, Lord, is Sarah going to have a child in her old age? How? Well, as I said, logically, it doesn't make sense. But for God, He can do the impossible. And sometimes, you know, we, maybe we struggle with the same thing. How is this logically going to happen? How, how, how is he going to do this? How is he going to do that? It just doesn't make sense. Well, for us, it doesn't. But God's the plan. God has an, a beautiful, amazing plan. And you just have to trust that. You just have to just walk in faith. You have to just sometimes just put yourselves, put yourself in his arms, put yourself in his hands. Say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to occur. I don't know how we're going to, how we're going to have kids even though we can't have kids. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent this month. I don't know how I'm going to feed my children. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation that I'm stuck in. But I know that you have a plan. I know that you love me enough that you have a plan. You won't abandon me. You will be there for me. But again, we have to be careful about criticizing Zechariah too much. Because before we do that, we should examine ourselves and see how strong our own faith is. Let me ask you a few questions. Has God ever given you a solution to a problem, but you decided, you know what, uh, I'm not going to take it. I have a better way of doing it. I'm smarter. I, um, this, this, Lord, I know you're telling me to do this, and I know that you're giving me the answer here, but... Uh, I'm going to try this here because it just looks better. It sounds better. It seems easier. It seems like I don't have to go through a lot. Has that, have you ever done that? I know I have, and it, it's never led to anything good. It's usually always led to, to failure. And now that I look, ba- look back on those situations, like, man, if I just would have listened to the Lord... If I just would have listened, I wouldn't have made all those stupid and dumb mistakes. I wouldn't have had to go through all those thorns and all those weeds had I just followed the clear path that God had for me. Another question. Has God ever told you to go, to do or go somewhere, but found excuses not to? Has the Lord ever asked you, for instance, to go and serve, whether on a mission trip or, or maybe just speak to a person at work, just approach that person, give them a smile, not even evangelize, or not even, you know, just Give them a smile, give them a, maybe a hug, tell them everything's going to be okay. Has the Lord ever spoken to you and told you to do something like that, but you found excuses not to? 
Lord, they're going to think I'm weird. Lord, I have a reputation. Lord, I, yeah, I, I, I got to go to class right now. I don't want to be late. Have you found, have you made excuses during those times? Check your faith. Have you ever disobeyed the word of God? Have you disobeyed any of the commands? Well, again, what does that tell you about your own faith? Why did you do that? Why did you lie? Why did you steal? Why did you use the Lord's name in vain? Because usually the answer is of unfaithfulness. All of us, even myself, have been guilty of doing these things at one time or another. But a good way to measure the strength of your faith is by learning from those failures and then taking those steps of faith. If he gives you the answer to a solution, take that step of faith and just do it. Regardless if it's going to be a longer road or if it's going to it may be a little bit tougher, maybe more challenging, but take that step of faith. Take his advice. Do what he asks you to do. Do those things. Do those things he's asked you to do without making excuses. Make an effort. Again, we're not going to be perfect, but just make an effort to be obedient to the Word of God, to what He says. He knows. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows when you're making an effort and when you're not, when you're faking it, when you're just putting up a front and you're, you know, He knows. You, don't, you can't fool Him. So make an effort. And it's, it, it may start small, just like, hey, you know, I'm going to make an effort not to lie today. I'm going to make an effort just to be honest. I'm going to, if you have a, if you're a kleptomaniac, you know, just make an effort not to steal anything. You know, if you've got an issue with gossiping, if you have an issue with pornography, if you have an issue, take those little steps of faith and just say, okay, I, I'm not going to. God, give me the strength. Empower me, please, because on my own, I can't. Again, as Christians, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in wisdom and knowledge, we have to just learn from those failures and take steps of faith. Now, the angel had a quick answer to what he said and essentially told him, listen to me. Listen to me, Zechariah. My presence should be enough for you. I'm the angel Gabriel sent directly from God's presence to share this good news with you. Just as I represented God to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 verse, uh, verse 9. So I, rep I represent him to you now. But because he had questioned God's ability to fulfill his own word, Zachariah's unbelief resulted in divine punishment. Gabriel told him that until the baby cries, he would lose his power of speech and assured him 
that his unbelief cannot stop God's plan. His word will be fulfilled regardless if he believes or not. Listen, church. We don't believe God's promise. When we don't believe God's promise for our lives, we don't necessarily destroy the promise, but we do destroy our ability to enjoy the promise. Someone once said, whenever a believer entertains doubts concerning God's word, he loses his testimony and his song. Unbelief seals the lips and they remain sealed until faith returns and bursts forth in praise and witness. So, while well, all this is going on inside the temple, inside the holy, the, the, the holy place, outside everyone's... What the heck, why is Zechariah taking so long? What is happening? What, they were just wondering why it was taking so long. And when Zacharias finally came out, he had to communicate them by making signs. It was at that point that they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. Verse 23 then says that when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. Now, what made this such a severe punishment was that Zechariah had such, he had this great news. He wanted to tell everybody about what he saw, what he experienced, what, what the conversation that he had and what was everything about it, but he couldn't. He couldn't share it. He couldn't verbalize it. How hard that must have been. I know when I have good news, I tell my kids, I tell my wife, hey, this happened today. You know, I just want to tell everybody. When I found out that Robin was pregnant with my first, with my first, son, my first son, I was like, I, anybody I, I ran into, I, I told, hey, I'm having a son, I'm having a son. I was excited. So now imagine seeing this and hearing about it, and he can't say, he can't speak. All he can do is just write it down. Oh, man, how frustrating that would be. In the final two verses we'll be covering this morning, Luke says that when Elizabeth became pregnant, she went to seclusion in her home for five months. There she rejoiced within herself that the Lord had seen it fit for her, uh, fit to free her from the reproach of being childless. Now, if you think about it, no human could have written a script centering the first subplot on an unknown priest's wife secluded in her small town for five months. No human could make such a script come true in life. The reality is, this story shows us that God was at work miraculously carrying out His plan of salvation. No other explanation can explain what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Theirs is only one piece of the evidence that God is mysteriously working out. Again, it's the wait is almost over. I think next week I'm going to title next week's message is happening. Now, 
if the story just ended here, you'd be like, well, that's kind of mean. It's kind of messed up. God just left this woman. She had her baby and, and left Zechariah mute. Well, it, it doesn't end here. The story does. We'll read more about this couple towards the end of this chapter. However, for now, I'm going to end here because I see kind of kind of went over here a little bit. But uh, I want to dedicate next week into the announcement number two. Another announcement the angel Gabriel made to someone in a Galilean town named Nazareth. But I want to quickly, just real quickly, review some of the main points. These are one-sentence points that I covered during this message. God uses the unlikeliest of people to achieve His plans and purposes. God will speak to you, will speak to us when we're serving Him and when we're serving others. God has the ability to make the impossible possible. And God, and this is the hard one here for many to to chew, but God will often discipline unbelief. And is that what you're struggling with today? Are you struggling with unbelief? Are you at a place where where you have been faithful, you've been serving, and you've been, you've been faithfully serving Him, but now God is asking you to do things, or He's told you things, and you're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I should continue. I don't know if I should just keep going to church. I don't know if I should just keep serving. Um, I don't, are you really asking me to do this? Where maybe at one time you would have been like, you would have gone... Full, full ahead, like full steam ahead. If that's you, are you, if you're struggling with that unbelief, don't make the mistakes Zechariah made here. Don't question him. Because it's not going to end well. Just ask him, Lord, Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Help me. Give me the strength because right now this isn't making sense. And... He will open the doors. He will, he will start revealing things to you. I know that's been the case in my life. I've heard other people say the same thing, but just come to Him as you are in that place. And He will bless you tremendously if you are struggling with unbelief. Let me lead you in a prayer. Just ask the Lord to, to help you with that. So close your eyes. Um, we'll also be ending in prayer here. Um, bow your heads. Lord, Heavenly Father, I please forgive my unbelief. Please forgive me for doubting you, for doubting your word, for doubting your promises. Lord, I come before you now empty and broken and ask you just to give me the strength to go on because I'm tired, Lord, of doing it on my own. I'm tired, Lord. I can't do it anymore to, to, to carry the weight of all these issues and problems on my back, Lord. 
Lord, free me and just give me knowledge and wisdom, Lord. Help me to, 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 to deal with the, whatever situation this is, Lord. Please, Lord, help my unbelief. I need you. Lord, I pray for those who prayed that prayer, Lord, and, and ask that you be with them, that you surround them with people that will minister to them, minister to them that will guide them, Lord, to, to you. for everybody that's here right now, Lord. That you will bless them. That you will encourage them as well, wherever they may be in their faith, Lord. May they hear from you clearly during those during those times that just that you're you're that you want to speak to them, Lord. May they just filter everything else out and just hear from you, Lord. Hear perfectly what you have to say. And may they just be blessed by it. We pray this in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.